Yeah. Yeah, the forecast is for another 50 basis points in August. Uh, that'll be on top of the 90 basis points that's already been delivered so far. There was a slight improvement in CPI due to base effect. Um, and one thing that may give some comfort to RBI is the moving commodity prices, you know, whether it's oil, whether it's across the, uh, some of the areas where India imports a lot of inflation. Maybe the heat's coming out a little bit. So I would say 50 basis points is baked in, but um, the moving commodity prices over the last month could give RBI a little more comfort uh, that uh, maybe they're seeing a peak in uh, in some of the, the imported inflation that's coming into India. Toby, thanks very much. Have a great weekend. That's Toby Lawson, the CEO of Societe Generale India. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's have another look at the markets this morning. In Australia, stocks slipping further into the red. The ASX 200 now down 1.5%. Uh, Japanese stocks uh, seem to be losing their gains from earlier this morning. The Nikkei 225 has gone flat. The Cosby in South Korea is down 0.8%. Futures markets uh, on the Hang Seng slipping further, indicating that the Hang Seng Index is going to open about 240 points lower later on this morning. Thank you very much for listening today and this week. Have a great weekend. I'll be back on Monday morning. Coming up after the news, back chats with Janice Wong and Andrew Work. The weather forecast for today, sunny periods and a few showers. Maximum temperature uh, going to be around 32 degrees. High temperatures are going to persist over the weekend and into next week. It's 29 degrees right now, 82% relative humidity. Just gone 8.31, here's Andrew Shrosky with the Half Hour News. Thank you, Peter. COVID cases have hit their highest daily level since early April, with Hong Kong reporting 3,674 infections yesterday, 257 of them have been, uh, imported. Five more patients have died. Meanwhile, authorities now say that anyone who tests positive while attempting to cross into the mainland will go straight to a local quarantine facility. It follows reports of people who test positive at Shenzhen Bay being told to leave the area on their own. Dr. Chuan Chukwan of the Center for Health Protection said people had to test negative before setting off for Shenzhen Bay, so most of the border cases were probably re-positives. Of course, there may be one or two cases, a few uh, proportion of cases, they may have a recent infection detected there. So to improve and to strengthen the management of these cases will require all departing passengers to be sent to the community isolation facilities for those who have a positive uh, quick PCR. An engineering professor says stricter penalties may ensure proper usage of electronic wristbands for COVID patients. From today, people who report positive results and who quarantine at home will have to wear an electronic bracelet to ensure they don't go out. William Wong from the Faculty of Engineering at the Chinese University was involved in distributing similar wristbands used two years ago for inbound travelers. He told RTHK that some elderly people or those with inadequate Wi-Fi at home experienced difficulties using the devices. He also said the system relied on trust. The whole operation depends a lot on trust. Some of these people are not really trustworthy. They are not actually following the requirements and then they walk out and that was causing the trouble. I think what they try to do now is to make it stricter. If you were caught, then you probably get heavily fined. And then some of the people, they do not know how to operate the thing. So we have to help them to start the device. So uh, I think one of the problems is usability because there are many elderly people around. There are also people in the households where they do not have enough Wi-Fi facilities around. 
The Speaker of the Sri Lankan Parliament says he's finally received President Gotabaya Rajapaksa's resignation letter following days of huge anti-government protest. But a spokesman said it needed to be verified and its legality checked as the letter was sent by email. Mr. Rajapaksa fled Sri Lanka on Wednesday after protesters began taking over government buildings in the capital, Colombo. He's now in Singapore. Sri Lanka's central bank governor, Nandalal Werasinghe, told the BBC that stability was vital. My request for all these parties to come together and have a stable administration and agree on a short-term program. And then obviously after some time, once the economy is stable, any kind of election, and in my view, people who have been elected to the parliament uh, have the responsibility to establish a stable administration sooner the better. The news from RTHK. Welcome to Back Chat with me, Andrew Work and Janice Wong. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, Andrew. Hey, um, today is Friday, July 15th, and today we are talking about developments in Kai Tak. Nine developers have joined hands to set up a non-profit private company to help turn the Kai Tak runway area into a mixed commercial and residential hub called Park Peninsula. The project is expected to include a combination of leisure, sports, tourism, commercial, and residential developments. According to a representative from one of the developers, Wheelock Properties Chairman Stuart Long, the government is expected to announce more transport facilities between the Kaitak area and MTR stations and the Central Business District soon, after an initial monorail proposal was scrapped. Now we want to hear from you. What do you want Kaitak to look like? What type of transportation should there be to get to and from the site? Then we're going to heat it up after 9.15 a.m. We're going to speak to a renowned meteorologist whose name you will know about the recent scorching hot weather, both locally and internationally. Hit us with your thoughts, your questions, and your comments on our Facebook page, Backchat at RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or call us at 2338-8266. One more time, 2338 Eight two six six, and uh, we've got three guests on today to give us the lowdown on the Kai Tak in our Kowloon Tong studio at uh, beautiful Broadcast House. We welcome Jeff Bent, managing director of Worldwide Cruise Terminals. Hey, Jeff, good morning. Morning. Good, good morning. morning. Thank you for having me. Uh, in Admiralty, in the heart of the city, is Ian Brownlee, managing director of Planning Consultancy Master Plan Limited. Good morning, Ian. Good morning to you. Hello, and on the line, we have Ryan Ip, Head of uh, Land and Housing Research for our Hong Kong Foundation. Ryan, good morning. Good morning. All right, uh, Ian, we're going we're to kick off with you. Um, you know, Kai Tak has been under development for a long time, and this new Park Peninsula concept, is it a plan or is it a plan to plan? What are we dealing with? <laughs> I, I, I think there's some uh, interesting history with Kai Tak in that... Uh, the vision that was originally intended for Kaitak was a city within a city, and they were going to reclaim most of Kowloon Bay and leave the the harbour basically one kilometre wide. And then when the um, protection of the harbour ordinance came into have effect, it basically said you can't do that. You've got to limit development to the existing area. And that immediately required a change in the total plan. And so we're, we're talking about the mid-2000s, uh, uh, 2006, 2010. They changed the plan back to basically the existing runway area. And they still tried to fit in the original concept, which was a sports base, that was a sustainable development and so on. 
and, and it had a mixture of housing, um, tourism, and, and commercial uses, and and that's what um, was supported by the Real Estate Developers Association, and I represented them at about that time. Um, one of the um, interesting features was uh, with the change in the configuration, the cruise terminal, which was originally going to be a single-type pier, uh, was no longer possible. It had to be um, fitted within the basic existing runway configuration. And so we have a, a two-berth um, cruise terminal at the end of the runway, which is uh, parallel to the um, the existing land. And as on that basis, it, it actually took up a very large part of the, the frontage, which originally we were looking at being available for the people of Hong Kong to enjoy. And then they build this incredibly large building on it, which is probably more than is necessary. But it was not viable in terms of the uh, private sector development, so the government built it, and, and that's at one end of the of the development. And we look at the other end, the government's building the... Um, the sports park, and in that we're having our, our, our new um, venues for international sport, and there, there are basically three venues being built there. The, the Rugby Sevens in November, right? Well, not there. Oh, no, the, oh, no it's still going to be the old stadium, so <laughs> yeah, not quite yeah, ready def- for sure. Definitely not, not ready for that. Okay. But, but so th- there, was a, um, there was a theme uh, that was developed which included um, addressing an issue that the cruise terminal created – there was a lot of discussion. Should the cruise terminal be there or should it be in Chimsa Choi where basically uh, the existing um, cruise facilities were at that time? And there are uh, proposals for berths, two berths being located in that area. But in the end, the government decided to put it out there at Kai Tak. And then, like we said, it had no supporting facilities. So part of the, the argument was they had to create a tourism node at the end of the runway, which consisted basically of about 10 hotels and, and a, uh, something called the Kai Tak Fantasy, uh, which is to be tourism-related. And Jeff could be able to explain more about that situation. Mm-hmm. But but the, the progressively, the plans have been changed. And, and this is probably um, something that people are going to become aware of in the next year or two as, as it's progressively finished in terms of the development and there's a very large amount of concrete being poured on Kai Tak at the moment and we're getting very, very large developments. And one of the questions is how are the original themes and concepts being carried through to the existing situation? And one of the very important themes in sustainability was uh, uh, some form of um, sustainable uh, access system, which was non-road based, would be the main focus of connecting this very isolated area. Because Kai Tak's a dead end. It don't, you, you get to the end, you've got to go back again. So all of this development is basically um, focused on one road system. And then the mm. government, about a year ago, decided not to build the sustainable transport system, which was a monorail at that time. And it was a very strange decision. There's um, no real justification put forward for doing it, and there's no alternative being put forward to replace it. Well, they said it was because it was too expensive. Well, you know, it's all relative. Public transport is, you know, to serve the public. Um, What what is it too expensive? In terms of their, their viability considerations, we don't know what they were. They were never really made public. Mm. And and while it was, you know, it's not impossible to build the monorail. They said it was it had engineering challenges, and 
I know a lot of engineers who really like challenges. So it seems that they just did not try hard enough. Right. So I've got a, I've got an email here about about transportation and and the links and uh, maybe Jeff will have a comment on this too. Ruslan said still possible to do low floor modern tram. Just give one point five lanes of width from the cars to the tram. Best option, real fast, reliable, smooth boarding. Um, Jeff, for the for the cruise terminals, you guys are actually in place and doing business out there. Uh, hopefully, you know business picking up post COVID. And now they're talking about these new plans. What do you make of it, including the transport links? We've had a number of recommendations for transport in, in the district that, um, that I've been making really for the last 10 years. But um, for, the, for the cruise terminal, the, the traffic profile and, and use is very different than what most people imagine. So I think um, one, uh, one recent uh, small victory that we had was presenting to the town planning board recently in which um, both both Ian and I separately made representations saying that we really need to keep some hotels in the district because the government had proposed to change all of the hotels to residential and mm. we said you know for traffic reasons it's it's better to keep a couple hotels there because uh, fewer cars on the day at the peak times if people can simply um, come a day or two early as most uh, cruise passengers do and, and just mm. walk in and out of the facility rather than take a taxi or, or a hotel limo. Sure, um, or, or but, if they're going to a sports event in the new stadium. Yeah, and, and I think the hotel there will, will stay, which is, which mm. is good, but it, it doesn't do much for us at the cruise terminal because the new stadium's over two kilometers away, so it's right, still, right. You, couldn't, you couldn't walk in and out. Another, um, I think to your reader's um, uh, email, early on we also said, um, you know, really um, to set aside a dedicated track for a uh, light rail or tram Coming to the coming to the terminal would work very well, but it's kind of gone beyond that now. Mm. Um, the the plots of land have already been sold. Uh, many of them are almost developed. There there isn't that room to to create a separate dedicated lane anymore. So what we've said is, in order to minimize road tra road traffic, and it's a bit counterintuitive, but we need um, a a park and cruise facility. And most cruise terminals are building around two thousand. Uh, parking spaces per berth at new mm -hmm. modern home ports. And the reason it's counterintuitive is you think, oh, more parking means more cars. But the fact is two-thirds of people take uh, taxis or Ubers or other private car to and from the terminal because they have a ton of luggage and they're with the kids and the grandparents sure, sure. and everything else. Um, whereas, and, and the traffic is all unidirectional. So as opposed to the airport where Full taxi comes in with people leaving, picks up people arriving, full, full taxi, taxi goes out. Sure. At the cruise terminal, it's always in the morning, it's empty taxis coming in, full taxis going out. In the mm. afternoon, it's full taxis coming in, empty taxis going out. So it's mm. four car times versus if they drive in once, leave the car as they go on their cruise for a week and then drive out again. It's only two car times. So it would right. reduce road traffic and um and, and also uh, pollution, of course. And then finally, um, for years we've advocated for having ferry landing steps where the ferry operators actually want them, which is not where they are today, but at a, at a really low cost 
could enable uh, better connectivity for the whole runway area in a really short time. Um, so, you know, I think the government has some plans about, you know, we want to put in a, a 1.5 kilometer overhead walkway, um, which is which is fine, but it'll take, you know, 10 years and $10 billion and um, landing steps could accomplish the same thing for, you know, 50 million in a year. Wow. Um, you know, there are already ferry operators who, who want to operate. Um, so. And get Why not make it easy? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, Ryan Ip is the head of land and housing and research, Hong Kong Art Foundation. Ryan, um, were you consulted by this consortium on this new Park Peninsula plan, and, and what do you think of it? Um, not really, but I, uh, honestly, I'm uh, it is admittedly a rare instance uh, where multiple developers, Hongling adjacent uh, land force, usually of competitive relationship, actually coming together to form a you know, non-profit private company to drive, you know, the development of this former one way. Did, did, they, did they come up with this themselves or were they pushed into it by the government? Uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure, but, uh, you mm. know, since the government decided not to go ahead with the planned monorail system, uh, coupled with the rezoning of commercial ports for residential uses, uh, there have been concerns on the CBD2 positioning, uh, as well as the, you know, capacity issues. Uh, including transport and uh, mentioned by the Ian and also Jeff. Uh, I think by coming together, it seems like the developers actually will generate synergies, you know, between their respective developments, you know, through a coordinated branding and planning exercise. Uh, you know, for instance, for, for example, as you mentioned, a park peninsular brand name has been announced, uh, coupled with the idea of a shuttle bus surface. Uh, serving the different estates uh, along the former runway. Uh, I think through this, it will increase the developers' bargaining power with the government because the proposals rate would not be you know, site-specific. Uh, it would be more comprehensive. So I think it's sort of, by doing that, it's sort of increasing uh, their bargaining power with the government. Is this kind of rare for these developers to uh, join forces like this? Uh, I think so, because uh, if you look at uh, other places in Hong Kong, you, you won't see quite uh, similar examples. So I think uh, the developers are actually forced to do it because uh, the, 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 the situation is really so bad for them. Because especially uh, the transport connections, uh, they have to do something to sort of you know help themselves to sort of uh, increase the uh, 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 transport uh, the connectivity of that area. Yeah, if I could just add, sure, sure. You know, I was um, recently at the hearing that, um, that Jeff mentioned. I was representing the real estate developers. And, um, and the situation is that uh, they're really disappointed that the government is not coming up with something which is better than what we would normally get. And, and there is no comprehensive system or, that is going to be able to address the numbers of people that are going to be moving into this area. Um, when, at the discussion at the town planning board, um, transport department, when questioned by the, the um, town planning board members, couldn't really answer the questions. They basically said, we're planning ahead, we're doing the existing uh, traffic is planned on the basis of the number of workers that are working on each of the sites and as required we'll increase more buses and things like that. But the, the total picture is not being looked at comprehensively. and And what the developers are doing they can see a potential problem for the people that are going to be live there that this site which is really inaccessible 
is not going to be able to be uh, up to the standards and the expectations that the people really want. And if you look back at the investment that the developers put into the area, which is really significant, Mm -hmm. it was done on the basis of there being an environmentally friendly transport system which was separate from the road traffic. And what we're doing is we're coming back to just putting stuff on existing roads. And the the comment on your email regarding alternative systems, the basic approach that Transport Department seems to have taken and the government have taken is that we cannot give up road space from road traffic. We cannot put in uh, an environmentally friendly system on the space which is reserved for vehicles at the moment. And everything is talking about congestion of existing road systems. So we've got a very narrow approach um, regarding the government implementation of a system. And yet we have these these companies which are all very, very competent um, coming together to put in an alternative system or a system that is better than what the government is going to propose, more comprehensive, more effective. And and I think it's an answer to a problem that's created because the government is not taking forward the basically the promises it made uh, when they developed the site at, at Kai Tak and, and they started selling all these properties off. Mm-hmm. So there's a hole there that has to be filled. And, and these companies, um, they, they do work together in different ways. And I think here's an opportunity where they can do something which is going to be to the benefit of the future residents of their properties. Right. Mr. Bent. I, um, I think in terms of the uh, transportation, I think the modern tramway is actually, uh, can, also, can actually be considered because, uh, firstly, it is, uh, the, uh, the tramway system is actually very suitable to this kind of linear type of development, you know, for instance, in Hong Kong Island and also in Kaita, and this example, and also the latest generation of modern tramway has enhanced its speed and capacity, and most importantly, it won't, it would not require a dedicated tramway. You know, it, it, it's not like a light, light rail. It can share the roadway with other vehicles. So I think it, it could be a, a, a viable alternative. Right, and um, just now, um, Mr. Brownlee was talking about how inaccessible that area is. Um, Mr. Bench, uh, you're, you're always at the uh, Kai Tak Cruise Terminal. Every can day. You just, can you just give us an idea how inaccessible it is? I mean, how long does it take maybe for you to walk to the MTR, the Song Wong Toy MTR station, for example? Um, Song Wong Toy, the, the road, uh, ironically, between um, the Kai Tak Cruise Terminal and the Kai Tak um, North End, the MTR stations, has not been completed, although uh, with some help from Regina Ip, uh, the project was, was moved forward and, uh, and should be completed in the next year, I think. Um, but to Aotau Gawk, it's, which is the closest one, it's, it's still you know, around three kilometers. I, I think for us, the issue is that um, there are too many mode changes required. So. Yeah. For in terms of public transport, I think um, it can serve the residents of the district um, well, and I think there's still room to do um, an above-ground, off-the-road type um, elevated rail system. Uh, you know, whether it's monorail or whether it's another technology. Um, Gondolas. 
Gondolas <laughs> like Ocean Park. There you go. Between between you know between Kai Tak and between the 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 cruise terminal and between the north end of of the runway, um, that could be done. I think economically and taking traffic off the road. But for for cruise passengers, because they're large multi generational families with a lot of luggage, nobody wants to change four or five modes of transport to get to and from the cruise terminal, mm -hmm. which is what has to happen now. Typically, a family would be taking, you know, minibus from their home estate to MTR line one, to MTR line two, maybe to MTR line three, mm -hmm. and then final bus and minibus connection, all the while with a ton of luggage and there aren't any luggage racks and all those things. So, so I, I think, um, you know, we have a keen interest in, in public transport for the residents, um, but it, not so much for the cruise terminal passengers. Hmm. Does the development of that area make it easier or harder because people now have to get through a developed area to get to the cruise terminal? Or does it make it easier because now there's more transport links? The, um, the bus um, service has uh, increased and, and improved, and that's very good for um, residents and workers. Still, we... we find that you know two-thirds of the people taking a cruise take a uh, taxi uber private mm -hmm. car because they don't want to change so many modes mm -hmm. so it's it's slightly better to have more more bus services for us but not not significantly better yeah mm. Um, Ryan, if this this is part of a bigger plan, we've got the cruise terminal at one end, we've got the new sports facility. Is there going to be what, what about residential? What where does residential fit into this plan? Well, I think uh, in terms of the residentials, because the current planning is uh, they are all in the middle, right? They, they all, all of the residentials buildings, they are uh, sitting in the middle between uh, the cruise terminals and also the sports, uh, the sports ground. But I think the problem is, uh, as Ian mentioned uh, in the beginning, the whole concept is like a you know a Singapore Marina Bay concept. You have the uh, cruise terminals and you have a lot of office buildings and hotels to sort of really develop the whole area as a you know, commercial, uh, recreational complex. But uh, it seems to me now it has just become another new town, right? It has just become another new town with a lot of uh, residential buildings. This is not really the um, original concept anymore. So, and I think it is, uh, well, to some extent it is understandable because um, we have a, a very serious housing shortage uh, at the moment. But uh, on the other hand, it is a little bit disappointing because if, if you compare uh, the original planning, which is, which, which, the original planning, which paints a very good picture, and the uh, reality right now is it, it just become another, you know, ordinary new town that you you will find in any part of Hong Kong. Right, with your, your t traditional mix of a uh, little bit of residential shopping malls with all the same stores you're used to. But, I mean, I think I saw a number 30,000 residents expected for the area. Ian, does that suggest that it's going to be uh, high-end luxury, or is that a quite high density? Or what, what does that mean for what the residential will look like? Um, there's two parts to it, really. The, uh, up near the, um, near the stations, um, there's quite a lot of uh, public housing going in. So um, in, in the old uh, terminal area, there's um, predominantly subsidised housing. But down on the runway, the sites have been sold off and, um, and the developers are developing uh, residential developments there, which will be obviously middle to high end. Um, they've got fantastic views if they're looking towards uh, the west. But the, the system um, 
at the recent hearing where Jeff and I were present, the government had proposed to rezone five sites from commercial development to residential. And the argument was basically we have this incredible um, uh, housing need. But at the same time, they also said that the, um, there was no, no demand for the commercial f sites. And what had actually happened is the commercial sites, two of them had been put up for, um, for tender. And one site had nine bids from developers and the other site had four bids. But none of those were bids were up to the expected um, uh. value that the government had on those sites. So the government withdrew them from the market. And then based on the fact that there's this housing demand and that there's also a need for, um, uh, for more housing, it, it, they took this opportunity to say, okay, because of low commercial um, demand for the development of these uh, commercial sites, um, we should change them to residential because that's more the demand that needs to be met at the moment. Mm -hmm. And there was a very good discussion that took place between the t um, town planning board members and, and the government and, and ourselves to some extent regarding what is the real objective of this area and how can our cruise terminal, which we have this huge investment in and has operational requirements, how can it operate without these hotels being located in the vicinity? And should there not be a, a need to look at the concept of what we're trying to achieve rather than just saying every site should be for residential purposes? And so we, we have the town planning board members looking at it in an, in an independent way and saying, really, they did say that there are other sites where we can put residential. And we're going to have to have a look at that uh, after the hour. We're, all of our guests are staying with us after the news. And Ian, we're going to come back to you because you are sparking questions that need to be answered. So we're going to have to come back to you after the news. I'm going to do a quick hit on the weather. Uh, we are going to have sunny periods and a few showers today. Maximum temperature around 32 degrees in the urban areas. Uh, and a little bit hotter if you're out in the new territories. <clears throat> Light to moderate southwesterly winds. And weather for the weekend, uh, once again, we have an anti-cyclone aloft, which is bringing generally fine weather to southern China. And this is Back Chat. The sentiments of the people. We need to talk with the protesters and then maybe forward a new constitution and then go for election. You're listening to the news on RTHK. And we're back with Back Chat. I'm Andrew Work, and I'm here with Janice Wong and our lineup of guests. We're going to get right back into our topic today, which is the new development planned out at Kai Tak. Uh, we left off at the the, uh, the top of the hour talking about uh, residential plans uh, as part of the mix out at the Kai Tak Airport. Uh, Ian, we were getting into it, but I mean, the question that I have is: is is this all going to be rich people housing? Because it's on the harbor. I mean, it's got to be worth a ton, but. Uh, do we need lower income housing? Because I'm thinking for people working at the cruise terminals, working at the hotels, working in the commercial area. Um, and also just to give, you know, districts a little more flavor, a little more character. Are they going to have mixed levels of housing or is it all going to be, you know, the, 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 the expensive stuff? Again, there's different locations for different types of housing. But basically, the housing on the runway is going to be relatively high end. But closer back into the older parts of of, uh, of Kowloon City and so on, there are uh, subsidised housing and housing which is going to be uh, focused more on, on the people that are looking for 
uh, opportunities to move from the crowded areas uh, out to a better environment. And that was the whole theme that was established for Kai Tak. We should establish something here which is different and better from the other parts of, of Kowloon and to make up for the deficits. And, and as, as uh, uh, Ryan just said, this is starting to be just like any other new town. And the whole of the way it's been implemented, there were suggestions made by the real estate developers that we should be taking a, a corporation approach like the Docklands had in London with a, a detailed explanation. We had experts brought over. Um, regarding the, the water sports, uh, you know, sports is a theme, and it's not just the cruise terminal, but there are sports opportunities everywhere around the water waterfront. And, and I've been working with the Water Sports Council to establish um, water sports on the, on the Kaitak Channel, which is now uh, starting to come to fruition. And we brought in people who design water sports venues uh, at international competition levels, and we presented them. They went on site with the engineering department, explained what was necessary to make this a um, international standard uh, water water facility, which could also meet the needs of the local people, and none of those ideas were taken up. And we have overall um, a very disjointed development which is not really going to achieve what was set out for the normal people of Hong Kong. Mm. For instance, the Metro Park is supposed to be a big park which was set out to establish a, a basis for meeting all the deficits of good facilities that have been not been provided elsewhere in Kowloon. And that's been cut by a third so that we get additional housing sites. And, and there's no theme for the development of that park. They don't realise it goes from one waterfront to the other. And they don't have a, a, a design which goes from one waterfront to the other. They have different designs for different parts. They're putting roads in locations which are not going to achieve um, good urban design, a good outcome for the, for the public. So it's a situation where the, the government system is not, not producing the best in terms of the output that should be achieved from a, an incredible site like this. But is, is the Park Peninsula plan going to correct these deficits? Well, if you look at what it's trying to do, it's looking at all of the things that were part of the original um, concept. And, and, and it's basically, to a large extent, the, the private sector saying, look, the government's not going to be able to do this. Its, its system does not enable us to achieve what we think should be here for the people that are going to be live there or the people coming from elsewhere to, to, to use this area. And that was one of the problems that's still not really addressed is the connectivity of Kai Tak with the older areas of Kun Tong and, and Kowloon City where we have very, very um, poor housing qualities overall and a very p low mix of, of good... Um, Community facilities, also the community facility sites, most of them have been rezoned for housing. So the balance that we're getting out of Kai Tak is not really anything like what the objective was when it started. Mm. But there will be this mix and there will be opportunities. And it largely is up to the private sector and the other NGOs like the Water Sports Council to take what's left after the government's been through it and then try to put it into something which is going to be useful and valued by the public. Okay, I've got an email here from Shirley who says, uh, good morning, we have a new government, let's enjoy our beautiful harbour more. Please considering more ferry links from and within Hong Kong Harbour, from Kai Tak to North Point, to Stanley, to Baguio and TST, to Discovery Bay, to uh, Chung Kok for a start. Thank you for your kind attention. Um, 
Sam, although the email's from Shirley, so maybe there are two people using a single email address. Um, uh, what about this idea of these water connections to other parts of Hong Kong? Is that, uh, Jeff, like, is, is that feasible? I know I'm from Vancouver, and, you know, the, the, they have these little water taxis that are, like, a big hit there, and I know in other places. Could, could we do it here? Absolutely, and I think one of the things that we've been lobbying for all along is for landing steps at the very tip of the runway because there's a North Point ferry that passes by there every half hour and they just don't have a place that they can stop. Mm. They would like to stop, but they don't have a place to stop. If they had to go into where landing steps are, it would be a very long, out-of-the-way um, journey. We also have an operator that would like to do um, a Kaito short short ferry service inside the typhoon shelter in Quintong, you know, maybe running to the children's hospital or to the Quintong ferry pier, or ideally there can be landing steps very close to the Aotau Gok MTR station mm -hmm. so that they could do short short drops around there. I think one, one thing to remind uh, the general audience is that the cruise terminal itself is not suitable for regular uh, sort of in-harbor ferry type services. A, a lot of people think, can't they just go up to the cruise terminal? And, and it's because our, our, our key deck is really, really high off the water. So, right. <laughs> so regular right. ferries can't go there, but we definitely support um, appropriate facilities for, um, for in-town ferries where people, where the operators have asked for them, which include the tip of the runway and uh, and also maybe facing Hong Hum. Gotcha. Okay, so so this this could be done, and I mean not just for that North Point ferry, but for ferries to other parts of Hong Kong as well. Once the landing steps are there, um, anybody can use them. It's a mm -hmm. it's a common facility. Yep. Okay, I've got an email from uh, Leon who says Beijing is intent on addressing Hong Kong's high residential prices and reducing the profitability of the HK property developers, whose oligopoly is a long sentence. Uh, with the huge assistance of the Hong Kong government's low land supply policy has made literally hundreds of billions of dollars in profits over the past five decades. The cynical view is that this proposed quote-unquote non-profit project is simply an attempt by the tycoons to curry favor with Beijing and the John Lee administration. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't know. What do you guys think of that? Ian's having a, a bit of a chuckle over there in the, in the studio. I mean... Uh, the impression I got in the first half of the show was that there was a policy vacuum that is now being filled by these developers, but he's suggesting that maybe they are fulfilling the government intent. Um, Ryan, Ian, somebody want to take a crack at that? That's a, not usually my sort of question that I answer. <laughs> no, I, I just think there's, a, you know, from my point of view, it, there is a general need to to fill this gap in, in what's happening in the area. And um, these people have the ability to do that. And I, th I think the, the benefit is going to be the people who are going to live there and going to want to go there for recreational other purpose. So I, I, I just think it's a, a real problem that has to be addressed. Yeah, Ryan, what do you think? Well, I, I think I, I, I'm, I'm always an advocate of public-private partnerships. I think we, we should not view any uh, all the cooperation with uh, government and, uh, and private sector as a bad thing, because if you look at other parts of the world, you know, UK, uh, for, for instance, they have a lot of public-private partnerships as well. Even uh, affordable housing, right? You know, in the UK, uh, even the private sector will actually build affordable housing, and we also, we also see, see uh, some first examples in Hong Kong of private NGOs uh, doing affordable housing. So I think 
uh, in general, all in all, I think uh, 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 cooperation between uh, the government and the private sector is actually a good thing uh, to, to, to planning and also to the society as a whole. All right. Uh, but with these guys collaborating, there was one, one thought that occurred to me. Um, you know, part of the beauty of Hong Kong is in the, what brings culture to our, our communities and, and atmosphere is the uh, kind of the way the places have evolved organically. Like all these different businesses doing their own thing. And I mean, sometimes you get some pretty wacky neighborhoods, but I mean, that, that's Hong Kong. We're not, say, Singapore, where everything is kind of laid out and planned in advance. Will this community maybe feel a little bit too planned, a little bit too sterile, or will it still have that Hong Kong, you know, anything could happen kind of vibe? I, I think it's going to be um, t- uh, a very unfriendly place in terms of street level activity and things like that. There's basically no commercial activities, uh, no, n- not even any planning of, of shopping centres in this long runway. It's basically residential development. There's very little opportunity for any waterfront activity in terms of retail space and such like that. And, and there's just so many opportunities that are going to be missed. And there have been um, – even the Harbourfront Commission has been pushing for things to be able to happen in this way, and, and they actually really haven't um, got an outcome, which is going to be building a neighbourhood with character. And mm. I think one of the – things that Hong Kong people are really good at is taking opportunities and turning them into places which are better. And um, I, I just hope that within the areas that are available to community for, uh, at groups and, you know, the water sports groups and things like that, to be able to come in and, and try to make this place something with character. But it won't have a character of its own at the moment. Yeah. I've, I've heard it compared to TST East. Would you say that sort of sort of planned buildings with one or two floors of, of commercial on the bottom, and then and then, yeah. Well, basically, they're not going to be available for the public to get into because they're housing developments. There's very limited opportunities where we've got that TST type um, situation. Jeff, does the, does the uh, cruise terminal, is it, does it, for security reasons, does it have to be like kind of a gated property, or could it, is it open enough that you would be able to allow other businesses to come in and allow the, the new residents to be able to f- freely flow in and out of the cruise, or maybe make that part of their community, part of their neighborhood as well? I, I think um, when, when the government um, wanted to keep the entire waterfront open to the population, they designed the, the cruise terminal so that people could, court of, could sort of walk up and over and on top of it through the rooftop garden and down again. So while yeah. the, uh, the area that um, hosts the cruise ships has to be a, a customs immigration restricted area, um, there is a way for people to go up, around, over, and, and, and down on the, on the other side. And could you incorporate uh, community like restaurants, live music? I mean, something that residents would be like, oh, I don't, I don't have to go make a trek into the rest of Hong Kong. I could, like, do it at the cruise terminal. There's, there's 5,600 square meters of uh, commercial shops um, that have not done well in the past, mostly because cruise passengers don't, at a, in, a, in a home port, don't, don't need to use restaurants and shops. But uh, I think with residents in the district, it'll be somewhat better for them. But really, what was supposed to happen was there was going to be this tourism node next to the cruise terminal, and that was to have a huge shopping mall, cinema multiplex, hotel, offices, attractions, Mm -hmm. yada, yada, yada. But this is now an enormous uh, quarantine 
facility. You know, okay. now there are stacks of containers for high and it's, it's finished. It's all completely built. The right. former park is now not a park anymore. It's, it's all isolated. It's like Penny's Bay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Got it. So, uh, so we're gonna have to wait a little night before we're heading out to Kai Tak for the, the nightclub scene. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not happening. Uh, any, any time in the next little bit. Um, Ryan, before we uh, close out this segment, uh, you know, I asked earlier at the beginning of the show if, they, if the, uh, the people of Park Peninsula had consulted uh, with our Hong Kong Foundation. You do a lot of good work. If they called you and said, what's wrong with our plan? What can we improve? Uh, what would you tell them? Well, I think uh, it's important to, 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 to think about the uh, transportation because obviously they have some uh, proposals on transportation, but I think uh, we, we do a thing uh, a little bit more about the transportation because uh, the, the, the capacity of the single road that is leading to the uh, full terminal is too limited and we, we should think uh, more than just uh, shuttle bus uh, in terms of uh, transportation. I think that is a key part of making the whole plan uh, viable. Okay. Well, you know, one of the things I love about living in Hong Kong for the past 26 years is we do have new neighborhoods and somehow people find a way to make these things work. And I'm looking forward to that happening over in Kai Tak. I want to thank our guest today, Jeff Bent, Managing Director, Worldwide Cruise Terminals. Thank you very much. Uh, in Admiralty, Ian Brownlee, the Managing Director of Planning Consultancy Master Plan. Thank you for joining us today, Ian. And thank you to Ryan Ip, who is the Head of Land and Housing Research at our Hong Kong Foundation. All right. And we're going to take a turn into our next topic, and we are looking at the recent hot, hot weather in Hong Kong, and by extension, uh, our region and the rest of the world. And we have with us now on the line Lam Chui Ying, who is the former Hong Kong Observatory Director, the main man in charge of uh, Hong Kong's weather uh, facilities. Uh, good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. Okay, what's going on? It is hot as hell out there. And is this just a blip? Are we just having a hot summer? Or, you know, I think, you know, obviously people are going to say we got a, we got a trend going on here with uh, climate change. But what's your, well, what's your take on what's happening right now? I, I'm afraid we are, we are moving into a new era uh, of hotter and hotter climate. And um, uh, you I think you already know that uh, this recent spell of uh, three consecutive days with temperature above 35 degrees is, is actually very rare. It is only the third time in the history of the observatory. And, and, and uh, were they, when were the two other times? Were they like 100 years ago or were they like last year <laughs> and the year before? No. Uh, one of them occurred in 2016, so a recent phenomenon. Mm -hmm. And the other one is the very famous 1963. Uh, people of my age will remember 1963. It was the year when we had water supply once in every four days and four hours on that fourth day. So uh, I'm not sure if you're old enough to know about this, but that was a particularly dry and hot year. So, so we are seeing ourselves moving back into that kind of situation more frequently than before. For, for the record, I'm not old enough to remember, but I, I did I did see a display about it at the old Hong Kong History Museum before they did the revamp. I don't know if that, that survived the revamp. And, and Mr. Lam, it's not just Hong Kong that is experiencing this hot weather, is it? I mean, like Shanghai has also uh, issued its highest alert for extreme heat. And, uh, and also the situation in Europe, it's even worse, I think, with, uh, I don't know, temperatures going up to 48 degrees in some parts. Yes, yeah. 
Say Japan lately had temperatures above 35 degrees in Tokyo for several consecutive days. Uh, so, so uh, in the old days, people would say, "Oh, this is only an individual uh, accident of climate." But uh, now we know that, uh, uh, according to scientists, uh, we now know that this kind of very very hot weather is occurring with higher frequency. And this is definitely related to the global climate change, which we human beings are responsible. So um, don't blame the weather; blame we ourselves, who uh, emit so much uh, greenhouse gas into the atmosphere. All right. Now I know I'm definitely guilty as charged. The last couple of days I've been doing work from home. I look outside. God, it looks beautiful out there. I really should get out. And I'm like, oh yeah, 35 degrees. Forget about yeah. it. Uh, you know, I mean, are we are we better equipped to deal with it? I mean, is this is this an inevitability that we're just going to have to learn to live with? It is. It is an inevitability. I'm afraid. Um, uh, actually, the to to most people, I mean, the the the. Um, uh, the poor people in Hong Kong, what they would be worried about is um, the very hot nights, which they are in, they are, they have to face increasingly frequently. You see, in the old days, in the 1950s, when I was born, mm -hmm. um, you, you would have only two or three hot nights in a year. But, uh, you know, in the last few years, it is something like 50 days. 50 days compared with only two days in the old days. Mm -hmm. So so people living in very crowded conditions, uh, not properly ventilated, uh, small cubicles, small cubicles, they would, they would have to face very hot nights, which which would mean that, that they, they would have many sleepless nights. And um, it is really hazardous to, to their health. And of course, I think of the numerous people who work outdoors, uh, I, I certainly think that there is uh, occupation occupation hazard. So we really have to start thinking about what we what we should do for these people who are working outdoors. And uh, do you have any idea how many very hot days or very hot nights we've had so far this year? Oh, uh, unfortunately, I've not had the time to check. But uh, uh, last year is already in the range of fifty, so uh, per year. And uh, we are looking at something like uh, approaching three months by 2050, only sort of uh, 20 odd years from now. So it would be something like three months in a year. Right. And, and of course, when the weather is this hot, many people would just uh, automatically turn on their air conditioner. Mm. Um, is that a good way to deal with the heat? No, of course not. Uh, I, 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 I sleep without any air conditioning. I, I use only a, uh, a, a USB fan. Wow, 15, legend. 15, 15 centimeters in, di in diameter. And I, I, I have had a good night of sleep last night. But is, is, so, your, is your residence designed to allow proper airflow? Because I think that's a lot of, we've heard a lot of talk about designing buildings so they have better airflow so we yes, can reduce, our, reduce uh, our reliance on Yeah, The important thing is that uh, we, we must have good ventilation for, for buildings inside the buildings and um, and then what people could do is to to stop sunshine getting into the into the flat uh, during the day uh, and, um, and 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 then basically one really have to start training our own body 
I am really, really have to train our own bodies to cope with the higher temperature. Um, and I would take a cold shower before I go to bed. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are the kinds of things that you could do to cope with the very hot weather. Yeah, because I mean, everybody in Singapore seems to walk around in 30, deg- 30 degree heat all the time. And I know they, they seem to use a lot less aircon down there. I, I, I work in the self-storage industry and 50% of their self-storage is not air-conditioned. And yes. things, things are fine. Like the, the goods inside do not go yeah. bad. They don't go moldy. They're fine. And they seem to know how to live with it. We, we, we have been pampered too much. I, I um, During part of my career, I, I um, went to Japan to visit my counterparts fairly frequently. Mm-hmm. And in summer, the, the, the indoor temperature in official buildings in Japan is 28 degrees. 28 degrees. And everybody looked very comfortable with 28 degrees. But in Hong Kong, 25 degrees, people will switch on the air conditioner. So it yeah. is very much a, a habit which has grown at, uh, at a time when we are richer, Mr. <laughs> Mr. more money to spend. Mr. And Lamb, I, when it's like 15 degrees outside, I get onto a bus and it's like the air conditioning is blasting. I mean, forget 25 because at 15 degrees, people are cranking up the air con. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. So um, I, I, I'm... I think uh, in Hong Kong, we really have to, to start thinking how we should live our life. And for people of my age, I, I could remember uh, that in those days, 30 degrees is nothing to us. And um, we, we can just walk around, sleep, and nothing happens. Uh, and uh, I'm still here. So we, And of course, the government is talking about decarbonization in the long term and aiming at zero uh, emission of uh, greenhouse gas. So, um, so we Hong Kong really have to to get its acts together. We, mm-hmm. we we have to to uh, collectively establish a new uh, paradigm of living. Um, and don't really please don't switch on the air conditioning uh, anytime you like. Um, you see. Ninety percent of of the electricity or is used in buildings, and um, something like seventy percent of the electricity is used for air conditioning. So, so um, if we could we could train ourselves and uh, reduce the use of air conditioning, we would be giving a good a great help to the decarbonization campaign the, the government is trying to organize. Okay. So, um, we can't really rely on the government alone to reduce carbon dioxide emission. We have to, to get into the act. All right. Well, that's that's a great reminder. I want to thank our guest today, Mr. Lam Ying. He is the former Hong Kong Observatory Director with a good reminder that uh, change starts with each and every one of us. Uh, train ourselves to use the aircon a little bit less. So thank you very much, uh, Mr. Lam, for joining us today. We have got a few emails that we got to get through here. Uh, I'm going to try and get through these before the top of the half hour. Uh, Rick has said, the weather has warmed and cooled over millions of years. Why do they never mention this? I don't know who they are, but we did just here on Backchat, just for you, Rick. Um, we've got one here that's a critique of the show and maybe a little sideswipe at me. Uh, the problem is the same as the scheduling of the topic in this program. 45 minutes of talking about a cruise terminal and a few minutes given over to what is the most important issue humans face. There is not enough priority being given to this topic. Uh, I guess he means the, the warming of the planet. Uh, nor is there enough being done to ramp up the necessary changes that are needed to prevent 
severe worsening of this topic. And organizations like the Lion Rock Institute have worked very hard to discourage attention from this topic. I, I guess he singles them out maybe because he knows I'm on the board of the Lion Rock Institute. As far as I know, we've never actually talked about climate change. So uh, we just focus on different issues. That is from Richard Two. I will take it as Richard II. Coming back to our original topic, uh, John says, uh, coming back, and this is coming back talking about uh, talking about uh, Kaitak. The main road to Kaitak is a massive dual carriageway with a massive central barrier, hopeless. It is part of last century thinking, isolated new town thinking, no transport, no clue, which maybe mirrors some of the comments we heard from Ian Brownlee on the show. Uh, and finally, from Leon, I think Leon's getting a double hit in today, as he, as he does from time to time. On the subject of waterfront property developments like the Kaitak site, I was walking along the Victoria Dockside in TST last night, which is largely devoid of F&B attractions. It reminded me of the massive wasted opportunity by the government and developers to create a fabulous attraction facing our wonderful harbour for both locals and tourists. New World Development, which manages and operates the Victoria Dockside, is one of the groups involved in the proposed Kaitak project, is the most culpable of failing to deliver the TST waterfront. Let's hope it does a better job at Kaitak. And with that, we are wrapping up Back Chat today. I would like to thank all of our listeners, especially those that called and sent in emails. Big thank you to my co-host today, Janice Wong. Thank, thank you, you, Janice. Thank you. And our producer, Yuki Tsang, and my sound man, Jumpin' James, in the, in the booth. Make sure you tune in Monday for more with Janice Wong again and Mike Rouse and another panel of hot, hot summer guests. I'm going to give you a hit of the weather. Uh, sunny periods and a few showers. Maximum temperature of 32 degrees. Light to moderate southwesterly winds. And for the weekend, generally fine weather in southern China. So it's going to be a good one. Thank you. And this is Back Chat. I'm Dr. Patrick Yip. COVID-19 vaccination is the most effective way to prevent severe illness and death. More than 100 million children worldwide have received vaccination. We are working at full strength to help children aged 3 to 11 to get vaccinated. The two COVID-19 vaccines used in Hong Kong are safe and effective. No severe reaction has occurred after vaccination, even among those with asthma, food or drug allergies. Protect your children. Act now to arrange vaccination. I am a primary student. I want to get vaccinated. Temperatures 29 degrees, humidity 80%. The time is 9.30. And now the news with Andrew Chorofsky. Thank you, Andrew. An engineering professor says stricter penalties may ensure proper usage of electronic wristbands for COVID patients. From today, people who report positive results and who quarantine at home will have to wear an electronic bracelet to ensure they don't go out. Sri Lankans have been defied.